hello everyone out there. It is the Hound. Uh, so this is, as promised, a couple of minutes late, but this is the interview that I'm going to be conducting tonight with uh, my very good friend, my Habit representative in the UK, the Bulldog, Simon Sheridan. So there's going to be lots of uh, fantastic, fascinating insights coming in from him um, as he uh, uh, he's going to share with us what he's picked up over his years of experience in the martial arts both as a practitioner, as a teacher, and also as the owner of uh, one of the biggest martial arts sites in the world, Martial Arts Planet. Hello, mate. Uh, big dark car, there we go. Hi, everybody. There we go, I was going to say. I know you were worried about your eyes earlier on, but you didn't need to darken the whole room, man. You were all right. <laughs> I am sitting in the dark corner of the room. <laughs> I shield like that. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Bang of the Hound, my brother. It's an absolute honour and a joy to have you on here. Um, so, um, as I always do, um, I'll give a, a brief introduction to you before we get cracking on. Simon, I mean, good God, you've been in the game longer than I have, mate. Um, no, that, we've yeah, had that, some instructors in common in the past, um, including Lee Bander. And Simon's always been one of those advocates of hard training, common sense, reality, and just trying to make people the best they can be. So um, rather than me go too much into details and things like that, let's start back at the beginning, buddy. Tell us a little bit about yourself and give us the intro you want the world to know. Okay, well, really, most people sort of start off with how did you get into martial arts? Well, at school, I preferred sort of individual sports, table tennis, you know, over football and rugby and things like that. Then we had the Bruce Lee films and some of the, uh, the ninja films of the late 70s, early 80s. American Ninja, things like that, Shokasoki's Ninja films. And funny enough, a funny story, I remember being about 15, I suppose, 14, 15, sitting at a train station, a guy comes past, he's wearing like Kung Fu dresses, got Ninja written on the side of me, and my mate looked at each other and went, Ninja, turns out it was like a, like a Nike or an Adidas sticker, but back then, <laughs> we didn't know any better. Uh, so, left school, still wanted to do martial arts, uh, and me and a friend found a uh, Taekwondo school. Did that for about six weeks. And although I still didn't understand martial arts, really, I knew it, it just didn't fit me physically. Uh, and found a Kung Fu school that was quite local. Good, nearly there. But again, something just felt wrong. Is that uh, a little bit off? Yeah, and we had a guy doing press-ups and the instructor had his hand on his back saying, I'm taking all of his chi away to stop him doing his press-up. Anyway, <laughs> we move on. Luckily, I was living at home. I was living at home at the time and a Kung Fu instructor moved next door. I went, I went up to his class and I got winded and punched on the nose in the first class. <laughs> I was with him for years. So that was really, really good. That was really good. He was a very good martial artist, not such a good teacher. And in fact, we discussed him a few weeks ago because he rung me up. It's like 30 years after I started. He has a civilian role within the army and he teaches the Gurkhas at a local barracks. And he rung me up the other day, he said, Simon, I was teaching them, they couldn't get near me. I thought, well, teach them to, which is why I eventually left him because, you know, good, good martial artist, not such a good instructor. That sort of takes me up to age 29, really. And that's when I started with Lee Bander. So that opened up a whole new world. Grandmaster yes, Danny Hoover, Master Skin. And you and I would have almost crossed paths. Um, I always wonder, and 
because when Lee had ice at Tunbridge, for those that don't know Lee Bander, he's one of the, the uh, high-level JKD guys. He's a pretty big, uh, big name in England in JKD circles and, and globally too. Um, very, very good practitioner. Exceptional the screaming up, actually. Very, very good with the old sticks. Um, but Lee had a full-time martial arts centre called ICE, the International Combat and Exercise Centre, which was um, a church in Tunbridge. Now, did he have that when you were training with him or were you with him slightly before that? Six months before, thereabouts. So what happened right. was, um, it was getting to the stage where we'd probably been about six months before ICE. And I got a call from Lee saying, I want you to come to this awards ceremony tonight. Now, I had very young children at the time. Ben, who trains with me now, would have been about a year old. And we had, they'd have been about two, and we had uh, year-old twins. So I got a, got a young family, and I didn't really want to go. And he sort of lent on me a little bit uh, and said, we, you know, I really need you to come. Now, it turns out that I won an award that night. This is one of my most prized possessions. And it says, uh, to Simon Sheridan, Royal Tumbridge Wells Jeet Kune Do Academy. When it was dark, you shone the light. Now I'll get into that in a minute. So that's why he wanted me to go. When I got home, there was a note on the table. Your son is in Great Ormond Street. And it turns out he had bronchiolitis and he was about an hour away from dying. He's all fine. So I had a decision to make. I think if I'd have stayed with Lee and gone to ICE, I would have possibly been able to be a full-time instructor. I had a decision to make and I walked away for the sake of my family. That's why you and I miss each other by six months a year, maybe. It must have been a whisker. It must literally have been a whisker that we missed by. So I was with Lee. obviously continued. I was going to say, after leaving Lee, um, for, I mean, for perfectly understandable reasons, um, your journey then continued. So take us through that. Yeah. So I left Lee and become. Um, a family man and I turned into fat dad really I had a few years <laughs> off and um, I wanted to do something because I've been training you know I was probably 34 by then I've been training since I was 17 uh, and that's what I did but I thought I'm not sort of fit enough to go to a kung fu school anyway there's a local guy David Arnold now David is still a friend of mine advisor Tai Chi advisor to Harvard UK puts himself yep. down very, very good martial artist and trains very much along the lines that we do. Multi-styled, multi-skilled. Anyway, he did in a screamer class. I can do that. There's not a massive workout when it comes to a screamer. I thought I can go and do that. I did that, enjoyed that. Went to his Kung Fu class, enjoyed that. And long story short, with him for years, still with him now and became uh, a full instructor in his system. So that was I, I, sort of a lucky step back in, really. I've only had the briefest of exchanges with him, but he always seems like an absolute top-notch guy, and I'd love to have him on the bane one day, so we'll, uh, we'll try and jack that up, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, said he's up for that. He said, oh, I haven't got a story to tell. Yeah, puts himself down very, very, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very That, that usually means there's the biggest story in the world just hiding behind yeah. him, you know? Yeah, and he's trained with some very, very good people across the world. So, yeah, very good. So that was that was that. David was a full-time instructor. Uh, again, David had a growing family, and martial arts wasn't quite paying enough, so he went back to a full-time job. But David's a salesman that travels across the world, so he had to stop the class. Now I was in the position that I could take the class over, not full-time, but I could do the classes in the evenings. 
I did that for several years, but of course by then my family is growing up, more pressures uh, on my time. So after several years, I said to, to everybody, I'm very sorry, I've got so many family commitments. I had a daughter now, so I've got four children. I just can't continue the class. And everyone was very understanding. Walking out the class that night, Charlie and Andy, this is many, many years ago, they're still with me now. They said, we don't really want to stop. There's anything we can do. I said, well, why don't we do the first and third Sunday of a month? We, we can hire a tiny little hole that costs us next to nothing. That's what we did. We did that for several years. I got more time on my hands, and then I was an open up, able to open up further classes, which I've got now. And those two guys are still with me now. So they mean everything to me. Possibly wouldn't be training at all without them to owe them so much. Amazing how those little nut points and just those coincidences just kind of uh, just just happen, you know, those, those yeah, bits are yeah. supposed to push us forward. Yeah. And then, of course, you came along. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd known each other for a while prior to you actually coming on board with the Havoc brand. Um, and that was mainly through Martial Arts Planet, where you were one of the senior admins, ultimately going on to become the owner of it. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, because you, you don't have much involvement with MAP anymore, do you at all? Um, Not at the moment, no and again, that's because of time. Of course, yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. Um, so for those that don't know, martialartsplanet.com is a, a martial arts forum. And I joined, oh, God, 2006, something like that. Around mm. uh, about there. Maybe even a bit before, who knows. Um, in fact, no, it would have been about 2001, I think. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, I joined. Um, and um, I was on there with the username Hannibal, and I was always the grumpy arsehole in the background. What was But I used to get all the mods jumping on me and giving me grief and things. But uh, you were always one of the more indulgent mods on there. So I think, oh, okay, I kind of like this guy. <laughs> and obviously, we had the Lee Bandit connection. Um, hmm. So with Martial Arts Planet, and, and we'll address this before we hit the Havoc stuff. Um, how did it come about you actually got involved in that? Because that's, it's a side of the martial arts industry that doesn't often get talked about too much. I mean, we hear about, you know, keyboard warriors, online discussion and all that. Martial arts planted at one point, there was that and Bullshido that were basically neck and neck for the biggest martial arts sites in the world. Um, how did it come about you got involved with that? It was absolutely pure chance. David Arnold um, just mentioned it in class one day. He said, I'm a member. I post under this username. And I've had this conversation, I can't remember what it was. I went and checked it out, um, joined, and it just, it just took over, really. You know, and in the end, I'd ended up with something like 20,000 posts. Anyway, you know. If I remember rightly, but there we go. Near 25. And then, you know, so I was there for years and years and years. At uh, Every year, Martial Arts Planet holds a charity event. And this year we held it for a charity that you chose, which was really nice. And we raised about 600 pounds, really nice. A couple of years ago, after the event, we've gone out for lunch and the then owner, Ian, uh, approached me and said, I'd like to give Martial Arts Planet to you. Although it's a registered company, you know, it's a non-profit, non not-for-profit company. He said, I'll give it to you if you can run it. Uh, and I approached a friend of ours, Paul, and said, I can't run it on my own. Uh, I value you as a friend and the way you look after Martial Arts Planet. And the two of us took it over. Wow, there you go. And the rest is history, as they say it goes. Yeah. And it was through Martial Arts Planet that obviously we got talking and doing our interactions. Um, and that led you on 
um, to the to the Havoc system. Um, I'm going to have to tread carefully so it doesn't look like I'm self-promoting on this because I want this to, to be about you. Um, mm -hmm. But just give us a little bit about how you found Havoc and how that happened. I know because I did it, but you tell me. <laughs> Let's take, for example, and I said I would answer any questions and be really honest here. Now, you've trained with Grandmaster Danny Cooper. And a Danny Goober will give you everything. You go to a Danny Goober seminar and he gives you everything. The problem is you go home the next day and you go, oh, what did he say? Because you've got, I only wanted to do an angle one and an angle two and a disarm for a five. And then I can cope with that. But he's so giving, he gives you everything. But David Arnold and I kept saying to Danny, this is all, all well and good, this new Western syllabus. How did you train in the Philippines? We wanted something that was a bit rawer. For us, it seemed like there became technique for technique's sake. You know, there were 15, 20, 25 disarms on angle one, or one or two of those, make it a bit more authentic. So when I saw what you had to offer, that was what we'd been looking for. One, two, oh, flying head, but <laughs> But there was so much technique and understanding <laughs> behind it as well. So it was like something that um, I'd always been looking for. Oh. And the other oh. thing that I found, this is something that I must say, and this is something that Professor Hunden touched on last week. Now, when I first was looking at Havoc and yourself, and I thought all oh, the wolf pack and the thing was a bit kooky. Okay? When I joined, I got it almost instantly. I've never known such a group and the people you're associated with, Coach Harry, Darren Tibon, the Professor, Sifu Singh, Sarah, and so on. So giving so accepting that's what did it that's what sold it really awesome. so it's something that um you know everyone seems to be on the same page all the texas jkd guys and girls so inviting so giving of themselves so really what i, I said i say in class all the time punching someone in the face it's not that hard really if you've got it's not that hard what you want to develop is the person it's developing people and i think that's what you guys do really really well and that's a great lead into where we're going to go into the larger martial arts industry because i mean you you there's not a lot you haven't done in terms of your experiences and your qualifications um there's a lot of some fantastic pictures out there of you doing van damme-esque splits um with, <laughs> that's really good that I, mean, it's, I mean it's remarkable i mean i couldn't do that as long as i was conscious so i remember anyway, that day the truth of that is i'm going take the picture take the picture <laughs> that's the truth behind that picture but you know ray george my first kung fu instructor yeah ray george my first kung fu instructor was very very big on flexibility that's where that come from and as you've said as an instructor, you need to protect your students from your influence. So if you go to the gym and the guy's a marathon runner, he's going to have you on the treadmill. You go to the gym and he's a lifter, he's going to have you on the weights. That might not be what that person wants. As an instructor and a coach, I think that's very, very important. And more important, it might not be what they need either, because I think Absolutely. that sometimes gets neglected in our attempts to put ourselves and make them another version of what we went through. We sometimes lose sight of the fact that that might not be what they need and they're looking for. And that's why I'm, I mean, the, the phrase uh, an instructor's job is to protect his students from his own influence. Um, actually, often Guru Dan, um, it was one of his big things. And it always resonated with me because 
I've had a lot of instructors over the years and the best ones for me were always the ones that said, okay, Jay, this is what you need to work on. You're good at this. You're not so good at that. This probably isn't your thing. Mm -hmm. And they were very, very good at bringing that out in me. And that's always something I've tried to bring to the table as an instructor and as a, uh, the, the head of the Havoc system. Um, as a teacher and as my rep as Havoc UK, one of the things, I mean, I was so proud when you actually came on board because that was a tremendous compliment to me having some of your caliber coming on. Um, you've got a very open, easy, and giving approach to teaching. Is that something that you developed over the years, or did that come naturally to you as a coach? I think it's something I've developed. I think when I first started teaching, it probably took me about a year to get comfortable and sort of find a style, if you will. But also what I've tried to do is all the things that I didn't like from other classes and other instructors, I've tried to use that experience in my own class. So the students that I've got now, hopefully, don't go, oh, I don't like that, don't like that, don't like that, because I'm aware of it in advance. So I've taken that out. And what I say to my students now is, um, if you know the rules, you can break the rules. So if I show some, if I show a technique, I'll show them how they need to teach it to someone. So you can break it down in A, B, C. But if they do it slightly different, I say, did you get hit? No. Did it work for you? Yes. Well, that's your version of what I showed. Super. Job's, my job's done as an instructor. So that's the, sort of the way I view teaching, really. I think it's a much more organic approach and that allows for that personal expression. Now, maybe that's not mass market appeal, but you know, there's a McDonald's on every corner, but there's only one steakhouse, you know? So yes. you always want to make sure you're serving the quality meals. Mm -hmm. um, what have you found? Because my focus when I was teaching was always on the self-defense aspects. Um, not that I don't do the competition stuff. Obviously, we have a team at the dojo. But given my background, I was always a self-defense guy. When you first got into martial arts, um, you mentioned the Bruce Lee boom and the Shokasugi films, which I still watch on an almost weekly basis, by the way, because <laughs> um, they're still so cheesily awesome. Um, that was what got you in. What was it kept you in? What was the, the, the big drive that kept you in the martial arts? For me, I got shit canned and I wanted that never to happen again. And I think that colored my early years. And um, what was it brought you in, kept you in, and keeps you going? I think for me, although it wasn't bad, I was bullied a little bit at school. Not bad, but I was bullied a little bit. Um, I've already said to you that I did individual pursuits like table tennis and things like that, rather than team sports. This was something I could do for me, and it seemed an area that I could go and make myself better. Right. So rather than thinking, Self-defense, I wasn't really worried. I was 19, I thought I could take on anybody. <laughs> Stupidly, <laughs> but you know, so it didn't really, didn't really bother me, but it was something I could do for me. I could develop me personally. I was coming stronger. I went to the gym. Everyone said, oh, you'll be so stiff when you come out. When I come out, I was so strong and so supple, you know. If I'd have run into a wall at 24, the wall would have fallen over. I really could develop myself physically. The, de the difference is if I could go back, I think what I would say to a lot, if any sort of young younger people watching this now, when they're in the gym or in the martial arts dojo, it's train, 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 train. And it's a very physical thing. 
trying to get more press-ups, more sit-ups, better splits, more punches, all the rest of it. I would suggest you've got time. But what you're not doing now is developing this and developing yourself up here. So I would have liked to have perhaps had a different exposure and developed myself more mentally rather than just physically and gone back and said, there is time. What are your goals moving forward um, within the martial arts world? Because like me, you're a perpetual learner. You're quite happy to say, I don't know any of that, but it looks cool. I'm going to jump on with it. And mm. um, what do you say to your five-year, 10-year goals within the martial arts industry? It'd be nice to grow. Every time we seem to sort of talk about advertising here and getting an advertising budget, something happens in life and <laughs> you get a puncture and that money gets diverted or the washing machine breaks. That money, And that's been the... So, or you get stranded in England, one or the other. Yeah. Or one of those and you have to catch a bus, bus back to your mum. <laughs> but that's life. That's life. But that's just an organic process. You keep driving and keep driving and you will get your rewards. Okay. For me, it's understanding and articulation. So you said, when I first joined, you have to do an introductory video. You need to be able to speak in front of the camera. And it's nice, just like I'm looking at you now, I'm not looking at my picture in the corner, it's just a conversation with you and myself. And you ignore the fact that it's going across to the world. So that's something I've got better at. Also, with things like the ETGS, the Escape to Gain Safety Programme, you've said to us before, if someone says, 10 minutes time, there's a girls school around the corner, can you do a self-defense seminar? Boom, you've got something. Yes, I can do that. You don't go, oh, no, I don't know enough, I don't know enough. It'd be really nice in two years, five years, 10 years for anybody, the local, the army, the police, the Navy SEALs to say, Simon, can you come in and can you do a talk on knife? I want my level of understanding to increase and my articulation and understanding on the product that I'm selling. So that really, and same with the self-defense. We've all got some self-defense that we understand, but it's going deep into the law, the moral, legal and ethical side of things. So for me, it's probably understanding on a deeper level. You've always had that grasp of it, though. I mean, even before we started getting into the aftermath and all the bits and pieces that we do, and plus, you know, the, the work we've done with John Titchen in consultation with him and stuff, um, you've always had this very, very common sense, practical approach to things. Um, but you're also very quick to admit what you don't know. Uh, and that humility, I think, is one of your most defining traits as a teacher and as a practitioner. Um, do you find that sometimes you doubt your own ability? Um, as a as a person and how do you cope with those negative thoughts as they occur to you i'm getting better i think i've mentioned this to you before and i would imagine all the other instructors watching would say the same some days you think what am i going to teach i don't know anything other days a student will ask a question and you could just prattle on for hours on the tiniest tiniest little detail other times i don't really do lesson plans Occasionally, I might do a framework and flesh it out in class, but quite often I'll get into class and doing the warm up, and the guys go, What are we doing today? I don't know, even while I'm doing the warm up. Someone will say something, I'll see something out the corner of my eye, boom, class is fleshed out, and off we go. So I've got much, much better at that. That's probably just come from experience and trusting that even, you know, if I, 
drive home from work, I'm really late, I've got seconds to go, I can get in class, switch on, and do a lesson. I think that's just experience and time served. Yeah, and I think that's what we sometimes forget. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. Um, uh, when you look at the people I aspire to be like, like Sifu Singh, Professor Hunden, Grandmaster Pibone, uh, all these guys, I just, when I look at what they're doing, I'm like, oh my God, when am I ever going to be that good? And we're so busy looking ahead, sometimes we do forget to look back at how far we've come along. And I think it's an important um, point for any martial artist out there, no matter what your level, you're still further ahead than you were. Uh, and if you're not, you need to change your path because you're going in the wrong direction. Um, so that's also a, a very, very important point. I'm glad you're able to flesh that out for us. Um, well, I've got two thoughts there. Student will approach you after class and say, oh, I'm just not getting it, I'm just not getting it. I will say, what you don't see is all the other students coming up and going, oh, have you seen Richard's jab? It's getting really sharp. So Richard's left the class thinking, oh, I'm just not getting it. Everyone else has gone, wow, Richard's jab's getting really quick. Sometimes you just can't see how far you have come. But I mentioned the, um, the award that I got from Lee. My other proud moment from, with yourself is when I said to you that you are our Sifu Singh. So you're aspiring to be Darren Tibon, Sifu Singh. And I said, you're our Sifu Singh. And for me, that's really proud because something changed in you that day. It did. It was undeniable. Uh, well, for starters, I stopped talking for 30 seconds, which in and of itself was something <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was an undeniable switch and it was a it was uh, everything's a learning experience in life moving forward and it was to, to have that frame put on me was something that uh, was like oh really because you just don't see yourself in those terms mm. and i think it's mm. it's good in a way because it always ensures that you stay humble um but i think sometimes we are our own worst enemies and we sabotage our own success because nobody wants to say, yeah, I'm that guy and I can do that mm. because the people traditionally that do that are pricks for want of a better word. I mean, yeah. I've lost count of the number of people locally that are just um, certificate chasers. They, you know, they're chasing this rank and that rank and getting this certificate and boasting about what they do. And they're almost what I call hiding behind lineages. What I mean by that is they say, I train with this guy who's trained with this guy who's trained with this guy who once served Bruce Lee a cup of tea. Um, and they seem to think that touching the robe will give the essence to yeah. them. It doesn't. I mean, I represent Singh. You represent me. Um, Singh represents Sifu Ben, Sifu Tayam, and Grandmaster T-Bone. Grandmaster T-Bone himself represents uh, Great Grandmaster Angel Kabbalas. Professor Hunden represents um, uh, Dr. Moses Powell, as well as Professor uh, Wally J. So they all got this lineage behind them, but the difference is they back it up. They're not just relying on a label or a badge that they belong to something. These guys have their own brand on it and their own abilities. They speak for themselves. They just happen to be representing a line. And yeah. that's something which I find missing from the martial arts world to this day, especially, yeah. sad to say, within the Jeet Kune Do community. What have your on, experiences been with that? Well, I was on an instructor course myself and David Arnold with uh, under Danny Goober. And he said at a seminar one day, don't believe everything I say. Just because I'm Grandmaster Danny, don't believe everything I say. Question and ask. And I thought that was really good. Really, really honest from him. 
And he said, you will be better than I am. Because he said, I will give you everything I've got, but I've not got everything you've got. So your students will be better than you. So he was, I thought that was very, very good. And I do still reference that in class. Still got that humility. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm. That's actually quite humbling because Danny, I mean, Danny was a little firecracker anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but he was funny. Um, <laughs> do you remember know Danny Goober, for anyone that doesn't know, he's a, a Dr. Perez practitioner. Um, and he um, once was being interviewed by Martial Arts Illustrated magazine. And they said, tell us about your most memorable fight. Which for most people is like, you know, I sparred this guy or, you know, and he was like, kind of about when he had, <laughs> to, got a bigger he had story. to kill a gun <laughs> Yeah, we have to kill a gun runner. It was, like, it was like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's a whole different level out there that some of these people have been through and experienced. I mean, I'm conscious of it myself from law enforcement, but every so often I'll speak to someone and I'm like, holy crap, there's a whole other level of this. Well, Lee was on the phone to him one day. How you doing, Danny? Oh, I'm upset. You know, I'm upset. This guy nicked my bike. I'm thinking, Grandma said, Danny Goober, he's going to have a Harley Davidson or something. Uh, this guy's nicked my bike. Oh, what did you do? So I've gone for my gun. I said, Danny, you can't shoot someone because they nicked your bike. He went, but it's my bike, my BMX. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's crazy, but yeah, he's very, very good. Very, very, very good. I remember, that, I mean, just one more Danny Goober story just because I think it's amusing. Uh, Lee once told me a story of when he introduced him to Hoist Gracie. And this was, I think this was fresh off UFC 2, 3, or one of those. It was when Hoist was kind of almost like riding a wave and um you know lee introduced him and he said um <laughs> he said your your style against me would not work in a real fight and hoist is a kind of chill dude actually if you catch him on the right moment and he, he went do you mind if i ask why and danny said because while you were beating the shit out of me all my brothers would be stabbing you like that and so like <laughs> And Hoyt laughed about it, you know, he thought it was like basically a joke. Yeah. It was Danny's way of kind of, you know, just breaking the ice a little bit. He's only that he, he was Danny, a good he, 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 he was a funny dude. He was a funny dude. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, again, you've trained with a lot of guys over the years who taught you, but you've also taught a lot of guys too. Um, you pushed out a lot of the skill and the knowledge that you've acquired and you've really helped people come along in environments that you don't traditionally associate the JKD world with, and you've trained some competitive boxers and some competitive fighters. Give us a little insight into your experiences there. I think my, my, I've always had a love of boxing. Mm. David Arnold, uh, Lee Bander, who was um, an awesome boxer, trained under Noel T. Really um, and was sparring partner of Ernie Lesnar, who was ranked number three in the world. Um, so Lee's boxing was exemplary. So I learned a lot under Lee. And did he train with Campo for a while as well, didn't he? He who, sorry? Was it Campo? Uh tell about Campo? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then when I trained with David Arnold, David Arnold was a friend and private student of Ian John Lewis. Um, some of you will know the name, some of you won't, but Ian John Lewis is a top referee. Uh, Tyson fights, you know, world title fights. So David is a student of boxing as well. So I've always had a love of that. We've had a couple of students and ex-students approach us saying, I've signed up for one of these white collar fights. Can you train me? Now, love white collar fight boxing or, or not. I've said, yeah, I'll train you. Um, so we had a guy, Clayton, been with us before, uh, three or four years away from us, signed up, said, can you train me? We had uh, seven or eight weeks 
didn't know who his opponent was, didn't care who his opponent was. Uh, he got a couple of injuries, so we probably had six weeks with him and um, completely changed his style, completely. Uh, worked on body shots and long story short, referee stopped that fight in the second round with a win for our man. So, um, yeah, we've had some um, some some luck and some you know, real good opportunities for things like that to help get our name out there. It's interesting. One of the things when um, you first started training with me and you, you're very open to new ways of doing things if it fits within your paradigm. And like I said, I, I don't say it's the truth. I just say this is my experience. I found this works for these reasons. And one of the things I introduced you to outside of surfing the channel, which makes sense for those that know what that term means, was not leading with the hand, because that was something that we've always um, been taught traditionally back in the day. Weapon goes first, body follows on with it. And, and I actually uh, pointed out why I don't do that, why I don't teach that, and why I don't advocate that. Um, without making it too much of a technical discussion, um, how often do you find your paradigm shifts these days in terms of finding a different way, a better way of doing things? And how adaptable do you find your students are when you introduce those changes? Well, if we start with the students, they're really good. They're really good. Because I don't say it has to be two inches that way and four inches that way because we're not like that and we say look it works this is how it i teach it if it's a new student it's a b c d but if you can go a b d and miss out c or you go a b c d but on a slightly different path for you that's fine but you understand my a b c d so when someone says mm -hmm. how did you do it you can explain so let's take for the Rubik's Cube. I've been doing that since I was 14. Pick that, I'll go, do, 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 done. If you said to me, how do you do that? I wouldn't be able to answer now because I've been, just been right. doing it so long. But in class, I break it down. Okay. So they're really accepted because I allow them the flexibility when I make a change or you make a change and which I implement. No, they're really accepting. Because we show the practical side. It's not just saying, I need you to do this because of this we show why mm. and i'm sure you've had students we've had students come up here i remember actually david we had, he had a, a guy come up a karate guy come up spent an hour watching us and he said to david why do you keep your hands up so i don't get punched in the face well this guy had obviously had a very traditional hand on hip hand. couldn't see it this couldn't david couldn't make him see sense and he never did come to the class so I find people like that who aren't able to change, they're never going to be students of ours. So, you know, we need students with a certain mentality, but because we have that, they are very open to change. For me, myself, a good exposure, you know, Kung Fu, Tai Chi, done some uh, work with Master Skin through Lee Bander, Grandmaster Danny Goober, uh, various other names that have just gone out of my head for the moment. So I've had a good exposure. But if you say to me, why don't you try this? Why don't you try a thumbless grip? Why don't you, instead of doing this grip to a gable grip, you try it, you see that it works, super, move on. But you don't forget what you had before. You don't throw that tool and put that tool in because that old tool might come in bloody handy one day. So that's Maybe my view. with an old tool. Yeah, yeah. So you just have it in your locker, and when you need it, it's there for you.
here's one I'm going to put you on the spot with as well. Uh, a little bit of shameless self-promotion from me. I'm not going to apologize for that either. Um, the recent Martial Arts Planet charity meet, I had to, uh, originally I was booked to do an instructor spot there and I was genuinely looking forward to it. As you know, as I know, circumstances happened that that wasn't going to happen and ultimately didn't happen. Um, it was a frustration for me and I do apologize for letting everybody down on that. However, the set I was going to teach, I said to you, you know what? You can do it. You can do that. Now, this was a grappling set. And forgive me for saying so. You're not a grappler. Um, no. It's not, not, your, not your thing at all. Your entire grappling exposure, with a few exceptions, has almost entirely been what I've given you through the ground flow, which is, um, for those that don't know, it's a, a, a ground flow system I developed for within Havoc specifically to fill the gap and allow people to be combative on the ground if they didn't have the time or the inclination to get more nuance within a grappling system. For those that do a grappling system, it was designed to complement, enhance, and make good stuff better. So that was kind of what it was. You've only ever been given audio-visual instruction on that, and yet you were able to go and teach a whole set on it. Tell us about that, how that was, and how it felt. We was confident going in because we drilled it tons in class. John Titchin has taken it on board with his students mm -hmm. and his guys and our guys have got together and we've drilled it. Some of the holding moves, they're transitional moves, but some of the holding moves we've had his younger students as young as 12 and Andy can't shift them. So it, we knew that the technique stage by stage by stage worked. We'd videoed it, sent it back to you, and we'd probably done, I don't know, 20 different variations back and forth, back and forth over several months. So it wasn't just a case of here's A, B, C, D, go off and teach it. We drilled it, we knew it, and we understood it. And we understood it to a point that if we was asked questions, we could answer them. Now, not too far before the map meet, my wife had a stroke. And for those who don't know, she's fine. We were really, really lucky. I thought I'd be able to go to the charity event and completely switch off and just be focused on the event. I couldn't. My mind was back home. But that said, it went really, really well. It really, really well. Thomas Hepburn. Uh, hi, Thomas, if you're watching. Uh, one of Rick Young's students. Very, very good uh, fighter, grappler, cage fighter. He was excellent because... If there was something that uh, there was a transition that would develop to further stage, he was there answering questions and we, we would sort of knock him backwards and forwards together. So it was really, really good. And also we had people from all different arts. Some had never grappled before. Some had, some were BJJ students, but it was really, really good. The reason I bring that up is it actually speaks to something which is on the something of a hot potato in the martial arts industry these days, and it's that of virtual learning. Now, I don't think there's anything really new in that. I mean, video footage and instructor footage has been around since, like, you know, the, the turn of the century, basically. We've all seen the uh, um, the footage of Wang Shu Jin doing his stuff and the Thai box in the black and white footage films and the jiu-jitsu manuals and things. So these media and these way of transmitting a how-to without physically being there isn't anything new. Um, but in recent years, it almost seems to be um, a dirty word, um, video learning or distance learning. Um, how have you found your experiences with that, like back then in the middle, 
coming full circle to how we're doing it now within, you know, what you've done within Habit. Very, very good. I think it helped that I was experienced. That's mm -hmm. not to say that someone who hadn't done anything couldn't get something out of it, but I had the advantage of having lots of experience. One thing I would say is we're doing something here that no one else does. And the reason it's working for us is because the people like me who are sending stuff back are honest. You have to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's no good going, I've got that. Thank you very much. Off I trot. I'm going to teach loads of havoc to loads of people. You've got to be really honest. You've got to do your homework, put the work in, drill it, drill it, drill it, send the homework back in. We've, I've actually sent you videos in class and had live feedback. And you said, no, change this to that. We've changed it to that. We've gone away. We've worked more videos to and fro. So because we've had so much interaction, that's why I think it's worked. It's no good doing one video, sending it back to you, thank you i'll wait till the next lesson comes out one video sending it back that just puts us in the same bracket as everybody else you more videos than anyone else on the entire training program for those that don't know i did a year-long training program um for instructors in my system you have to requalify with me annually otherwise you lose your rank because I'm, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm changing it from week to week if I find a better way of doing it or a little tweak that creeps in there or something just occurs to me. So if I'm changing and you haven't trained with me within the past 12 months, you basically haven't trained with me at all because there's been so much that's changed within that. So when I did this learning system, I had a lot of local based guys. Some could come to the classes, some couldn't. But then I had yourself over in the UK um, and it was a, a, almost an, a, a, a beta test for the process. Um, and you were always there, you were watching the lessons, you were asking questions on them, you were shooting videos. I mean, I'd literally get one as you were driving along, like, oh, Jay, I've just thought of something, and there's a question coming out of it. Mm -hmm. So you were always applying the thought process to the material. And I think these days, my personal view, and I'll throw back to you in a moment, my personal view has always been video in and of itself is a handy reference point, but you have to let the rubber hit the road and practice it. Absolutely. Videos are nothing new. I mean, the, the VUNAC videos from back in the day were the old PFS ones that got me started uh, on the JKD path as well. Um, but even before that, there was like the Super 8 Bruce Lee nunchucks and action films. And mm. there's been just hundreds of these things over the years. Uh, Grandmaster Down T Bone has a phenomenal, and I mean just the best a Screamer DVD series I've ever seen out, where it's broken down move by move, angle by angle, response by response, reverse by reverse. It's phenomenal but you have to go away and drill the nuts out of it. And I think that's where the gap between video training and real training has always fallen short. I go to a seminar and we use your example from Danny Goober earlier on and he shows him, he gives you everything there, throws it all up front. And like you said, you come away with two or three techniques because you're there in person training with that guy, but you're not training with him. You're in the room while he happens to be giving you guys something to work on. So there it's great but you lack that repeatability down the line. And that is the advantage of a video. You watch that video back, it's the same as it was the first time and you can catch what you missed. Is that what your experience has been with them? It really is. And Andy's also very good at looking at a video. It's perhaps spotting a nuance that I haven't. But we can, we've found that even watching the same video, once, even once a month maybe, we'll spot something that we didn't do, didn't spot before. Or maybe it's because we hadn't drilled to a certain level, we weren't ready to see the technique. 
Right. Because we put the work in and got from here to here, that technique opened itself to us. Does that make sense? So I think that's proof, proof that you have to put the work in, otherwise you will miss these nuances. Yeah. Um, and certainly you're always spotting extra little bits and pieces in any art. And I think a lot of that comes from your previous background and experience because you have a an angle and a twist to it beyond what I've done. Like I said, you've actually been in the game longer than I have. So you've got a tremendous depth of experience to draw on for that. Um, what do you think the biggest lesson about martial arts you would pass on to someone? If they said, right, tell me the one thing I have to know about martial arts above anything else. What would that be if you were to pass that on to someone? Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And before you know it, you're the guy who the new student goes to. It's just, there's no secrets. You just got to turn up and put the time in. You don't need to train like a fucking berserker. You do need to put in some work at home. Again, like I said, you need to put the work in. But that confused person you are now with all of them questions, just allow them questions to come. It's, it's natural. But put the time in. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months, and then you're the guy answering those questions for the other person. And I mentioned the other day that, you know, everyone says, be like water, be like water. But the, the, the Bruce Lee phrase that I like is the circle with no circumference. I feel like I'm probably on my third or fourth time round now. And the questions, they don't really worry me now. I don't get bombarded by my own questions because I know when I'm ready, the answers will come to me. So I don't have to worry, but it's taken a lot of worry and, question, and questioning to get to that point. So I would say to people, worry less, but just keep going to class. When you are ready, the answers will come to you. The reason they're not coming to you now is you're not ready yet. That's not a bad thing. What a fantastic lesson to take away, brother. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on the Bang of the Hound this week. It's uh, a, li a little impromptu. We didn't book it until this afternoon, but when life gives lemons, you make lemonade out of it. And it's been an Absolutely. absolute joy. It's been really good. Um, any, last word, any last words for, uh, for the audience? No, I just really want to say to my JKD brothers and sisters who welcomed me on board and all of my guys and girls, Thank you so much. It was really, really nice. He really created a family atmosphere. The support is absolutely incredible, despite being on the opposite side of the world. It's been, you know, it feels like I'm there some days. Hopefully my videos that I send up to you guys, you know, draw you down here as well. For everybody, anybody else we've been talking about, so you haven't mentioned Havoc U, but the instructor program is open to other people. If anyone's interested, just hit me up, hit Jay up, more than willing to answer your questions. So before we go, give yourself a plug. Um, whereabouts are you located? Where are your class times? And um, where can we find you? We are based just outside of Maidstone. We teach Tuesday evenings, uh, Friday evenings, two classes, and the first and third Sunday of the month. We are looking to open like a kickboxing fitness type class. So we want proper... Yeah, so we want professional uh, boxing, kickboxing training, but none of the sparring and fighting. I think there's great scope in that. I know you've got a class like that yourself. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. That will definitely happen this year. That's uh, the way if you want to look and see what we've got, it's www.havocjkduk.com.
Awesome. Bulldog, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Um, maybe we'll end up doing another one of these down the line, bringing it up. Um, much love to you. Thanks for all the hard work, the continued effort and support. Uh, guys, hit Simon up on Facebook if you're not friends with him already. He's always happy to accept stalkers. Um, and he's he's one of the coolest, most knowledgeable, and most giving guys you'll ever go. He's a, he's a guy that I uh, I rely on a lot, and I don't I, I generally leave him to his own devices in the UK. He tells me what he's doing. I never ask him. It's a cool way to yeah, be. Yeah, we're, we're quite lucky now. If I post a video and Jay doesn't answer, I know we're doing the right thing. <laughs> I don't go, have you seen my video? I know we've seen it and we're all right. I can just relax. <laughs> you know, we get, you get a response back within 30 seconds. Otherwise, it's like, dear God, man, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's been a pleasure. It has. It's been an absolute honor to have you on, man. I'll uh, speak to you soon. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I look forward to uh, speaking thank to you soon. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. Ah, my camera's falling over. That's not thrown away and as you see they're very free and giving with that information um i found this is the way that most of the instructors i have are i ask them a question how do you do x and they just tell me y z how that loops back to o and n and they just give everything and it's a hallmark of a quality human being that they don't hoard this knowledge or put themselves up on a pedestal they're just like you, they're just like me, they're just like anyone else. They just happen to have had a little bit of experience within that sphere. So what a joy that was to have Simon on tonight. Uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed it and got something out of it. Um, I'm flying back to Canada this week. Touch wood and whistle. And I hope everything goes uh, according to plan with that. So the next bang of the hand will be next week. Um, I'm hoping to have a, a good special guest lined up for that. So as usual, any questions, any comments, any observations at all, please file them to me. Uh, file them to Simon if you want as well. We're happy to, to answer them and address them. Uh, and anything you'd like to see on the Bang of the Hound covered, whether that's a guest, whether that's a topic, hey, let me know and I'll hook it up. Um, but yeah, this is me signing off for tonight. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to like it, share it, subscribe to me on YouTube, although I won't be uploading this one until later in the week. And as usual, remember, a hound will die for you, but he will never lie to you, and he'll look you straight in the face. Till next time, guys. Love you all. Take care.